Welcome to another episode of the Card Authority. It's Tiger time. It is grand final week, and why not do it a little bit earlier in the week to get everyone involved? And I think it's a good time, as always, to bring my co-host in, the one and only Tiger AJ. Yeah, g'day, mate. This is uh, AJ coming in from Tiger HQ right here. Ooh. Mate, been a big week. Obviously, a uh, big week for footy. Everyone's getting very excited about grand final week. Um, you know, lots of things happening in the card world. How's your week been, mate? Mate, I have had uh, a good week. Um, yeah, just really busy, actually, with lots of things, cards, other life-related matters. I think that everything's starting to open up in terms of lockdowns and all that sort of stuff a bit more. So I think as that happens, we all probably begin to be distracted by a few other things and are required to do uh, other bits and pieces. So I've had a really busy week, to be honest. What day is It's only Tuesday. It feels like it's almost Friday for me uh, already at the moment. But uh, I, ha- um, I unfortunately haven't been able to look forward to the Saints playing because they did get knocked out previously. But um, some great games over the weekend and uh, obviously it's a huge grand final. Very interested to see what happens. I reckon uh, Geelong is actually going to get the job done. Well, as you can see by the comments flowing in, you don't seem to be alone with that. Um, and, yeah, sure, my uh, my new filth background. Well, I mean, it's celebration week. You know what I mean? It's I'm going for a little bit of a Thai massage parlour, three-time premiere kind of feel happening in my office here, um, which is just code sort of for my missus saying that she's sick of looking the shit in my office. So that is why we've got the backdrop now. Um, let's look to improve that, hopefully. I was going to put a huge Tigers banner up, but uh, let's just say I'm not a qualified engineer, so that uh, didn't happen. Um, so obviously it's very exciting, you know, very exciting for myself, obviously, with the Tigers having another crack. Um, I guess, look, let's see if we can tie this into cards a little bit for a second. So um, you obviously wouldn't have gone through this with your St Kilda cards, and that's certainly not a troll at all. But for people that are perhaps Richmond or even Geelong collectors, what can a grand final do for, say, team values elevating and, you know, player levels? You know, if someone has an amazing game this weekend and Mm -hmm. gets a Norm Smith, does that help the price of their cards? Oh, you would definitely think... That would be the case, and in my in my experience, very nice, Dan. Uh, in my in my in my experience, uh, the value of cards and particular players will go up based on circumstances around success, and I think it leads back to that that broader situation of um, of the on field success of a club leads to an increase in membership. Increase in membership leads to an increase in collector base. However, I want to add something to that, which is I had a really good discussion a couple of weeks ago with, um, I think it was Jason Widgway I was speaking to about it. And we were reflecting on the situation of the bigger clubs having a larger collector base, which is a true reflection of bigger fan base, bigger membership level, bigger supporter base is reflected with, with more collectors. But then we obviously then said, well, what about West Coast? And it was just after the figures had come out on this year's membership levels. And I think West Coast has like 100,000 members or something like that. They have a huge amount of members. I think, I think but they're it's number not one. one. Yeah. There you go. So it's not reflected at a collector level. 
and it's not reflected at a pricing level due to that as well because of the demand. And I, I think we were both on the same page in the sense that the, the other contributing factor is the connection of those supporters to their club and the fanfare aspect, I suppose. And we both agreed that because West Coast is obviously its history is not as long and as rich as those huge Victorian clubs who have been around for, for a very, very, very long time, they've become the club, the Victorian clubs, the big clubs are very ingrained in family culture and in the fat, very much the fabric of society. And as a result of that, you will have like multi-generational collectors within family. So I know like my family is multi-generational St Kilda. It's St Kilda, it's in your blood. And I'm not saying that's not the case with West Coast, but I think it would be for a much smaller percentage of their supporter base. There'd be a lot of people that support West Coast as a sporting club as opposed to live and breathe West Coast and footy. And we see that reflected where their membership level is so high and their supporter base in the West obviously is so high, but it doesn't translate through at a trading card or a memorabilia level in terms of price and demand. And obviously demand is what fuels that price. Yeah. No, no, that's, that's, so, that's, that's, that's a valid point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But so, sorry um, to deviate away from the premiership question for you, but so for example, like, you know, when West Coast won the premiership, I'm not sure that that actually pushed up their card prices at all. But I would think Geelong winning a premiership this year will push up their values and the demand for their cards. Um, I think Richmond, Richmond almost, I don't know how much more Richmond cards can go up and whether winning another grand final is a motivating factor to drive the value of Richmond cards up. How I would say more so if there's an outlier who performs really well on the weekend and gets, you know, as you said, the Norm Smith or just has a really fantastic performance, it could increase significantly the individual value of a person. Yeah, okay. So I guess, look, you know, obviously the the main one that I'm thinking at the moment is, say, someone like Dustin Martin, um, you know, has already achieved a heap in, in what he's doing in, in footy and his cards are already an outrageous price. Say he wins a third... Norm Smith and a third premiership and has another amazing game, you know, he's putting himself sort of, and I'm probably going to cop it with this, but, you know, putting him in the same sort of levels as the Lee Matthews and, you know, the Dippers and the, all those sort of Hawthorne legends that dominated through many, many grand finals, you know, does it, does it, can it push it any further? Like, or do you think that we're kind of, there's too many other things going on with the community, I guess the economics of the car community at the moment, that it won't actually get it much further. I think dusty cards are just so super hot, obviously, and they just continue to increase and increase, and that's because of the people that collecting them, the amount of people collecting them. But yeah. also, I think you're pretty safe to say that if you were to ask you know, 95% of Tigers supporters and collectors, if you would say, who's your, your, your number one player, in the modern era, it's just going to keep defaulting back to Dustin Martin. There's no doubt, no doubt. You know, he's obviously a future Hall of Famer. He is. He will go down as not only one of the greatest Richmond players of all time, but you would think one of the the most outstanding players and highest achievers of all time. Um, and as a result of that, his cards would be the type of cards that would hold up in value 
over a prolonged, you know, over, over the life of, of the lifespan, I suppose. Um, I think that winning a third Norm Smith and a thought, or whatever it is, it's got two Norm Smiths, yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah winning a third Norm Smith and a third Brownlow, uh, not Brownlow, a third grand final, all, all this sort of stuff is, yes, it will add to his value. It's not going to be like his cards will double in value, but it will continue to cement the fact that is one of the great, you know, arguably one of the greatest of all time, or his statistics and, and accolades will reflect that. Um, I think, you, you know, the highlight cards of his is probably where you'd see the best or the biggest percentage increase on the highlight probably from last week or something, which is still a relatively low price card for a Dustin Martin card. So if something was going to push that up, it would probably be, be a granny. Um, I think this week, you know, specifically this week, you're going to see, you, know, you probably already see Gary Gary Ablett cards um, will inevitably continue to go up in it for eternity. Really, I would I would have to think he's finishing on such a high note. And um, yeah. so and I was going so to yeah. talk about Gary. Like, yeah. is is the fact that now everyone kind of knows he's definitely retiring the thing that's pushing his price up, or are they speculating that he's going to perform on the big stage? Because I would argue. It's kind of irrelevant what he does. The, there's still going to be an upward movement now. Agree, agree, agree. Well, there, there's an example of a guy who's retiring on a high note, effectively, who is definitely again considered one of the one of probably the definitely one of the greats of the modern era, but will go down in history in terms of his accolades and his achievements as one of the greatest players of all time. Um, you would have to think so. I think what's pushing up the price now is people are coming to the realisation that the market can never be flooded with Gary Ablett cards at any point moving forward. This is it. So these cards are his last cards. That highlight card from last week could be potentially the last last Gary Ablett card ever produced uh, when he's been playing the game. I'm sure there'll be things produced in the future that will represent him as a previous player. But, um, yeah, and, and I think as well, like, it's a, it's at a point now where a lot of non-Geelong people look at someone like Gaza and you can't you can't refute how good that the guy is and they're starting to realise, okay, well, he's at the end of his career. I would like to have some of his cards now as well, you know? So I think there's a lot of non-Geelong people who are, who are you know, want Gary Ablett's cards and definitely respect Gary Ablett for the player that he is. And, you know, he has never been marred in controversy or anything like that as well. It's, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, he's a clean skin for sure. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, his dad was able to knock up enough controversy for all of them, for the family. So, yeah, he doesn't really have to yeah. worry about that. Um, but, I mean, you, you sort of touched on about whether or not it might be an outlier player. What happens if, say, someone like uh, Brian Myers, for example, kicks seven goals in the grand final and kicks a goal after the siren to win the game? What does it do for someone like him and his cards? Is that more just an emotional attachment to Geelong supporters and obviously my heartbreaking? But do you think that then potentially gives some uptick for his cards? Absolutely. I think that creates a situation where you have a number of people, he's, he's thrust into the spotlight. All of a sudden, he'll have a level of expectation. You'll see things like his showstoppers and whatnot go up in, in value and demand instantly. You'll see maybe some Geelong supporters who that really love him, who may not be card collectors who are looking for memorabilia or trading cards for him specifically because they think he's now a proven superstar of the future if he was to kick seven goals or whatever whatever you just described. 
Um, I think that you would have a bunch of Geelong collectors that would go, wow, okay, this kid's the real deal of the future. We need to get bulking his cards now. So you would find probably a bunch of Geelong people that would have only one of his each of his cards in their team set, but they'd probably be inclined to go get a bunch more like what they would do with a, a Gaza or a Selwood or a Danger, for example. So, yeah. Yep, okay. So then I guess that pivots to my, my next query, I was going to say, and it's not so much grand final related, but obviously Lockie Neal won the Brownlow two nights ago. Um, what I guess it's a bit of a weird situation because, you know, Blind Freddy down the street knew that he was going to win the Brownlow probably at week mm-hmm. eight, nine, somewhere like that. What does it do for Lockie Neal cards now? Like, is there an instant bump now that he is a Brownlow medalist? Or do you really need to have that team success to elevate yourself to greatness? So then, you know, because Brisbane, I guess, historically, their cards are not worth a heap of money yeah. compared to, say, you know, some of the big Melbourne. Yeah, players. probably a good parallel in this instance is the Nat, is Nat Fife. And I think you've only seen, you know, Nat Fife has been a successful superstar and elite player for quite a few, year, quite a few years already now. You've only see it, seen the price really kick in with his cards probably in the last two years, but more so after he's won the second that second brown low. That's what's all of a sudden yeah. generated interest in him from other other clubs and, and other other collectors and other people just because he once again he'll go down as an absolute generational superstar of the game and, and will be recognized for that across the board in the future. Lockie Neal, it's a very similar parallel that Fremantle, Brisbane both have smaller smaller collector bases it's limited to, to almost you know can basically in terms of the really active ones on facebook and stuff you can count them on one hand um so i, I think uh, look locky neil cards should slightly go up in value across the board but i don't think it's going to be anything substantial the only big card that obviously is now has really significant value to it is his brownlow predictor from this year because aside from that there's not much high-end Lockie Neal out there as far as I'm aware anyway um, yep. moving moving forward in the future I would expect that his Brownlow win was so significant and he was so far ahead of everyone else that people will be forecasting that if Lockie Neal can maintain that form over the next two, you know one to five years of his career he'll end up a dual Brownlow medalist probably as well and that's you, you know so some people might speculate now that what is he, 27 years old, so he's still got a decent whack to go there. Yep. Um, if people think he's, he's the real deal and he's, it's not just a single breakout season for him, then I think people start speculating on his cards and buying up his cards. Like, I definitely would love to have a Lockie Neal Platinum or even a Gold Brownlow Predictor, but I wouldn't, I'm not interested in going and necessarily paying the money that one of those costs. I would have been happy to have one for cheap that I got out of a packet or, or bought as a roughie early in the season or something like that. But yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I I don't know. Horses for courses, but I do think more people come out of the woodwork. Yeah. And the thing is, I look, Bodie's just asked the exact same question. I was just about to hit you with as well is obviously we've seen, you know, some of these booklets to be really expensive And, and look off the top of my head, they've only been doing it for what, four years, Danger, Mitchell, Dusty, Fife. Since uh, 16, 2016 was when they started it. Yeah, so that's a Danger, Dusty, Mitchell, Five. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. So, you know, we've seen sort of the prices. Like, I mean, you don't see many danger booklets floating around at all. You see a few Mitchells floating around. Um, you know, you don't see Dusty's floating at all. Fife's, I saw a few kicking around pre-dominance release. You know, what do you think and a Lockie Neal booklet is going to be worth? Like, I've seen, you know, some crazy prices for the unredeemed card um, over the last couple of days. Like, what's... Have you seen any sell? Have you seen any sell? Well, not... not uh, actually... Yeah, I did. I saw one yesterday sell. Um, was it a, a gold or a flat? Do you remember? I think it was a gold, and I want to say it was around four something, four fifty maybe. I can't really remember something like that. Um, so, what do you, so what do you, what do you my, think worth? Yeah, my opinion is, uh, unless the whole market just keeps going and going and going up and continues to keep lifting and re-benchmarking prices, I, I think that whoever the seller was that got four hundred or four fifty for that is getting top of the market and I just, mm. I, I don't, there's not enough collectors out there that want that card to sustain that price level, I think. So what are they number to? 140 the golds? I think they're number to 140. Is that right? Uh, I think there's, is it 60 or 80 for the platinums and then like maybe? 60 for the, I think it's 60 and 140. 60 on the plats and I think, I'm going to say 140. Yeah. Um, on, on the on the golds, right? So, so let, let's yeah. look at it based on level of redemption and everything like that. This year's Footy Stars is different to all previous years because so much of it was collected within the hobby community. As a result of that, the rate, the percentage of redemption is going to be far more than what it's ever been before. We know that previously the Dusty was the highest redeemed card. Well, I knew that prior to Fife. Dusty was the highest redeemed card, and it was roughly 30% of cards were redeemed. So 70% of them are out there somewhere, 30% were redeemed. So that gives, let's, let's give true, true numbering based on that. Um, on that basis, and what's going on with the hobby, I'm going to actually say 60 to 70% of the Neils are in the hands of people that would get them redeemed. They didn't end up in a rubbish bin, and they, they're not in a kid's drawer somewhere. They're mostly probably ended up with collectors because the parents of the kids caught them early and put them on eBay and, and took the took the uh, the benefit benefit of that. Um, but how many uh, of those people that are holding it are Brisbane Brisbane fans? No, no, not many. So yeah, that's right. So what's going to happen here is there's a lot of people that that would have gone after the top five players throughout the season with the intent of then flipping. There's some people that. Uh, team collectors that also then have each of the Brownlows or one of the Brownlows from each year. you got your master set collectors. you got all that sort of stuff. My opinion is there isn't enough of a Brisbane market to sustain a really high-level price. I think that that it settles. The gold probably settles. And this is not a reflection of the, how great the quality of the card is because it's an amazing. It's actually an amazing item that you get there. But I think the collector base probably settles that card around the 350 mark sort of thing. I could be wrong, and I'm not trying to pressure the price either direction on it. I just think that's probably where the gold ends up, and I think the platinum probably ends up around the 500 to 600 sort of, sort of mark. Yeah. Yeah. And look, Maybe I... more. The platinum could get up even more. And, you know, I saw that comment that just came up from Asher Ezekiel on the screen as well. That's the other thing that... 
is hard to account for are people who are who are doing multiples and hoarding cards. So yeah, this comment here. So it's hard to account for that as well. I could be totally wrong, and maybe it's five hundred and a thousand that they're worth. But I don't know. I just have this feeling that based on what I've seen in the past, I don't see how there's enough collectors out there that that would pay more than three fifty four hundred max for one of those golds. Yeah, and I mean, I noticed um, sort of maybe a couple of months ago um, that the five ones were going really cheap. Like I heard a few stories of a few platinum fives going. I want to say sub five hundred. Do you know? Oh what yeah, I mean? yeah. I, I remember platinum fives going for like three hundred. To be honest, yeah. I remember them definitely going for like three hundred. But the times have changed as well since then. We're talking about last year, let alone like even you know three months ago. Things have changed since then. Since we started Card Authority, things have changed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess look, you know, the the speculators that would have held on to them, you know, if Dusty wins, well, everyone knows they're. I don't know. I wouldn't say that they're worth as much as the 2017 one because I think they're so much harder to find. But I mean, it's probably a thousand dollar card, the platinum, without even blinking. If you had one of the yeah. the dusty platinums, um, yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's interesting, and it'll certainly be interesting to see what happens. And look, you know, Peter's just said here too, under three hundred. Well, Peter, I, I'd argue that I saw a platinum that sold for not much more than that. Um, actually, I know of a guy that picked one up with. I want to say something with a four. So um, the know, interesting um, thing, though, that there's definitely a lot of pressure on five cards now. Like five, five, all five cards now are being collected by a multitude of different people, and there's several people that are obviously hoarding his cards as well at the moment. And his prices have really gone up significantly this year as well in the last few months. I've definitely noticed a few five collectors come out of the woodwork too that have just decided they're going to PC him. And look, Bodie, you, you make a good point there that money is drying up, but I would argue it's cyclical that, you know, we're at the end of the footy season. We've had a crazy year this year. Um, next year, once the new releases start, you know, there's going to be plenty of fresh money. People are going to be gagging for footy. Hopefully the economy is a little bit better. So short term, yeah, there might be a few people that were hoping they were going to get a payday and they're just going to dump it. But I, I, I can't imagine them being $200 cards. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, so, oh, look, I think I don't necessarily think money's drying up. I think money is shifting and moving around at the moment. Yep. Um, we need to have consideration that, look, prior to, look, let's say between four weeks after the release of Prestige up until the release of Dominance, huge amounts of singles are being ch transacted and changing hands. Big money's flowing through, a lot's happening. What everyone needs to realise is that the amount of the actual amount of liquidity and the money moving around continues to actually increase. It's just where it's being spent. If you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars moving through breaks and stuff, well, that's drying up the money and the bankroll that people have to spend on singles. So yeah. we're just going to keep seeing these flows and these waves of different things happening. So as soon as so as breakers start to run out of dominant stock, it reduces the volume and frequency of breaks. We should set, then see there's still there's people are still sitting there with the same amount of money and they're raring to, to want to do something and that they want to collect, they want their board, they want to do whatever it is to engage with cards. So inevitably they need to spend that in another place. So I think we will actually see 
I think we're going to see more upward pressure on prices of singles, not necessarily where we are right now, which is where things have, have continued to drop. Some things have bounced back up. But I think I think as breaks slow over the next couple of weeks and stock dries up, so there's a lot of pressure on the singles market. And yeah, obviously sure. the, the cyclical thing with seasons and once this pre-season kicks off and everything kicks in, it just starts to drive you down. And look, just to touch on that question, Asher, that I saw it come through, I actually don't think that's right at all. At the end of the day, mathematically and statistically, the the chances of hitting the big cards are still exactly the same. You're just aware of more cards being out there. But, I mean, there's still the same amount of Captain Sigs and the same amount of influentials in every case. So, you know, you might not be aware of 15 Pendlebury's when it first starts, and then obviously you won them all and there's not as many around. <laughs> but, you know, the actual chances of hitting the big cards are exactly the same. So I don't really agree with that, mate. Um, but look, I think breaks definitely, you know, you touched on breaks a little bit there. I, I feel like the breaks are still filling. Maybe there isn't the same hunger and appetite for it at the moment. And let's put the money side of it away for a second. I think that people are are hunting around and kind of a little bit of what you just said then too is that people are trying to fill some sets and i know me personally i'm looking for richmond cards pre-2018 at the moment whereas in the past i was looking for dominance cards so it's not that i don't want to spend the money or don't want to get involved and don't like the community stuff you know i still go and breaks for a bit of fun but i mean i'm kind of looking for other things at the moment um I don't know. Would you agree? Like, I, obviously, you know, you see some Absol- absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's exactly what's going on. As people have completed sets and the, the, the break stuff dries up, sets are done, personal collections are done, people then, uh, you know, it, it directly relates to what I just said. They, they want to start backlogging and going after other cards. And we all do it because we all get distracted. I've just had a four-week distraction from my master set chase. I didn't really pick up one card I need for my all-time St Kilda Master set because I've been so caught up in dominance and everything that's been going on. And then a few days ago, I was like, oh, I might just do my what, what used to be like a weekly eBay search for all my chase list. Oh, I'm just going to do one now quickly. A few days ago, and I saw a whole bunch of those cards were up and available, and I snapped up a whole bunch of things that I needed, like older stuff, you know, old platinum future old, old platinum hall of fame cards and stuff like that that i needed so yeah yeah good luck with that dave hardy um no not 50 percent, unfortunately dave hardy it's too expensive i'll never get to 50 percent of the market on the steel <coughs> i'll take overs on 50 um, <laughs> percent but that's right look people are doing other things and look there's a couple of comments there talking about how people you know their disposable income has changed and sure and i guess i tried to take that conversation a little bit away from the money side of things because you're right people are wanting to spend money on some other things and down in victoria you know we're so close to being able to go out and you know normal COVID lifestyle people mm. are looking to spend their money a little bit different but um you know, there's only so many people that need to get sets and need to get hits and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it's an interesting time. It'll be really interesting to see what happens over, um, let's call it the Christmas months, you know, December, January, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I guess people will start getting a little bit antsy and hanging for football as they always do around February. 
Yeah. And I, I imagine that will domino into some cards as well. I actually, I, I, as I said to you privately a few days ago, and I know I think probably you and I disagree on this, I, I think there's going to be a big card kick again in a couple of weeks' time, to be honest, in like probably anywhere between two and four weeks as we lead into into Christmas. I think there's going to be a whole other kick again. I told you as well, obviously. Well, how, how, just, okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I did. So, so tell me why. What, what, are the, what are the markers that are telling you that? <laughs> the indicators at the moment that are telling me that is we're seeing a lot of new entry and new participants in the hobby, in all forms of the hobby, from breaks through to random collect, you know, random people coming in to collect due to hardcore supporters becoming collectors, uh, people part of the generation with kids now and getting coming through via team coach because of their kids or something like that. I, I, there's just so many factors and there's more and more people coming in. Every time there's a big news article, bang, it just gives the whole hobby exposure and you have people immediately researching Google, eBay, Facebook. You look at all the coverage in the last 10 days about Pokemon, right? So big coverage in the last 10, 12 days about Pokemon. It started with the, the MC and producer Logic in America, paid a quarter of a million dollars for a graded 10 Charizard card. Then all of a sudden, now, a few days ago, Logan Paul, who's another very well-known person in the US, went and tried to buy up all the high-graded ones that appeared on the Porn Stars show a couple of years ago, which was an unsuccessful sale. This is incredible. So just I'll let everyone know this. This is amazing. There's a that, that TV show that was on Foxtel on was it called Porn Stars, which well, was you about know, the, you, you know what it's called. It's yeah, one of your yeah. favorites. About, about about the one in Vegas. Funnily enough, it's a story for another time. But I've I've met that Corey guy through one of my other mates in America. Oh, okay. um, one of my mates, Big B, who's a, a musician in America, is he's uh, good mates with him. So, funnily enough, anyway, so a guy went in off the street with a Sherazard um, Pokemon collection, a huge graded collection, and tried to sell it to them for half a million US dollars. At the time, they said, yeah, it could be worth it, but they sort of laughed him out of the store. It broadcast two or three years ago, so it could have been even possibly five years old. I don't know. Um, however, someone, Logan Paul, has now like brought the whole thing back up and he's just done some content of, I'm going to track this guy down because I want to buy his Sherazards. What's crazy is he had tens of them and wanted half a million dollars for it. I want to pay him 250000 just for one of them. And basically was saying that the porn star store, that porn shop rejected the half a million dollar buy on those cards, which would now be worth minimum five million, minimum five million now on the open market. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty crazy. So anyway, going back to what are the indicators? So the indicators to me are I have my my you know finger on the pulse in a lot of different areas. I track a lot of movement of people and data and the movement of money and cards and all that sort of stuff. When I say track, I keep an eye on what's going on. I try to to educate myself and research as much as possible what's going on with the market. Two weeks ago, the market started to slump really heavily and we saw a not just a drop off of pre-existing people, but a, a basically a stall on new participants and new entrants into the hobby. In the last 10 days, that's completely reversed and there are new people coming in on a daily basis. And I would say to all our viewers and all our listeners, the simple way to see this is think in the last week, how many random new names of people you've seen popping up on Facebook saying, looking for a card, trying to get a price on the card, want to sell this card, they've bought your card. If you're an eBay seller, look at all the people on eBay. I don't know anyone that buys stuff on eBay. I had a guy come to my house 
came out the front of my house to pick up a car today. He lived only within a few kilometres of here. He was a gentleman, maybe he might even tune into this. He was a gentleman that was probably my, my parents' age. I would say he's from my parents' generation, my parents' age. And he very clearly, we talked for a little bit, and he was a huge collector for the last three decades. But he seems to be one of those big collectors that got out in the last 10 years and has started coming back in, like big time. In the last six months, lots of the big, big, big collectors have come back. And they're not used to this Facebook world and this new world. They shop on eBay, they're on Oscard Trader, and they're just starting to realize how big the hobby actually is. And part of the thing that I discussed with him today was the fact that he was just like, it's amazing like how much the sealed stock and boxes and cases cost now, but also how much some of these cards are now. And he said, he actually said to me, he goes, you know, the cases of this new one was $2,800, but you could get a lot more than that out of them. And that's why they're on eBay. Someone has them on eBay for 6999 you know, and he was, he was basically justifying that, wow, the times have changed, you know, but lots of old guys are coming back in now now and they're starting to buy up a lot of things so yeah very interesting yeah absolutely and finally your, your camera's just fixed itself jesus christ in the off season we need to get some proper globes in your office it is horrendous but anyway um, is it doing the weird the weird stuff again is it yeah you've had a mustache most of the day so it's been fantastic good. but anyway fantastic. you're back to normal again and look yeah you're absolutely spot on i guess the guys that might have left the scene in the last couple of years the value overall of what their holdings would be would have just amplified, double, triple, whatever it might be. Yeah, that's so, right. And the scarcity, obviously. There's more people trying to backlog sets. Yeah, anyway. look, there's, sorry, one sec. Don't get yeah. me wrong. There's, there's certainly cards that 10 years ago that might have been a 1000 bucks, a captain signature, for example, that, that actually dropped significantly and may have been down to as low as 400 or $500 three years ago. And now I'm hearing a lot of people saying what's happened in the last 12 months has brought all those cards that were down in the dumps right back up into the top of the market again, and they've got their value back here. Now they're starting to exceed what they were worth. So I think you've got a lot of people, a lot of collectors and stuff who were pretty dejected because prices had dumped so hard, who are now seeing the value regained within their asset and what they're holding in their collection. So And they're getting excited again now. And just also, you know, things like supremacy, brings people back into the market. Yep, absolutely. Um, all right, well, look, I've got a couple of questions here. So let's just fire through a couple of them because, guys, we do see them when we'll, you know, I never want to stop AJ talking because, you know, it's really hard to get him to open up. Um, I've got a question here from Kate. It, it breaks off a little bit here. Could, would, should it be an unwritten etiquette to give someone a break or a card, etc., after they let you have their team in a break and they hit big? Um, yeah, so I'm guessing if, you know... You I, think give, I think he's saying if you trade off your team or whatever and that person then hits fucking massive, you know. Yeah, yeah look, I don't think there, there should be an unwritten etiquette. I think, you know, we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks about not being a dickhead. And if you want to have long standing um, in the community and you want people to help you, um, I mean... It's never going to do you any harm actually just being a nice human for once. You know, you don't owe anyone anything. But, I mean, I know, for example, you know, there's a few people that have asked me for cards. You know, I'm not going to haggle over 10 or 15 bucks or whatever 
I'll just send it to them. Do you know what I mean? And I stress, don't everyone message me asking me for cards, all right? But, you know, people that have helped me, I certainly like to help them back. And, look, I'm not speaking for you, Jenks, but I'm sure you've dealt with that as well plenty of times. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't think there's any etiquette, but, I mean, if someone's helped you out, I mean, there's nothing wrong with helping them back. Um, yeah. I'm, go, I'm, a big fan of, I'm a big fan of reciprocation as well, and I am a big believer in people looking beyond what's just in their vision just in front of them at, at that particular point in time and that if you treat people the right way and you do the right thing and you help people and you're able to display some sort of, let's call it generosity for lack of a better word, there there should be enough good people to balance out the bad people that it will all come back to you in, in some way, shape or form in the future. Directly with that question, I'm with you on it. Like, I don't think there should be any sort of unwritten rule and I don't think it's an etiquette thing. I think different people have different mentalities and think in different ways. A lot of people are extremely short-sighted in their thinking with respect to trading cards and doing deals with people. And I think if you can do things uh, that are reciprocal or even to help people out in the short term, I think you're doing something really good and you can feel good about yourself. And I would like to think that seven out of ten people would, would be... Uh, good to you in the future and return some sort of favour to you in the future. So I don't think it's about buying someone their next break spot, but I would like to think if you help someone out with their team in an instance, that they would be inclined to help you out and it's not just chasing big hits all the time sort of thing. And I think if it becomes a situation where, where it's just taken over by all the, all the intent is, is to hit big and flip, you start, to, you start to lose the real fabric of the hobby and the social aspect and the engagement because you have people that resent each other and animosity towards each other rather than people wanting to work together to achieve mutual goals. Yeah, and look, I, I mean, I, I agree with you and disagree with you a little bit. I, I think that obviously, you know, if you're not a shit person, you should try to always be good and be treated the way you want to be treated. You know, nobody owes anyone anything. So everyone is free to make their own choices, but then don't whinge afterwards when people don't want to give you their team or don't want to help you out or give you a better yeah. price or whatever. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't think it's, it's, it's definitely not reasonable for people to expect it should happen every time. So, Absolutely, you know, again, yeah. go, going to, to directly to the question that was asked, uh, my, I, I don't have an expectation that I'm always going to get offered my team and that I should be offered my team in every single break. I look at it like, fantastic. If someone wants to offer me my team, nine times out of ten, I'll be wanting to trade for it. And if it's a situation where I have their team and they have my team, then almost almost every time it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna happen, you know, sort sort of thing. But I certainly feel people are not obligated to. They can do whatever they like, and they sh they shouldn't be pressured into having to give up teams or anything like that. But exactly as you said, what you do, and especially in such a small community and such a small hobby, the actions that you take on a daily basis are being magnified and noted by people. So. You look after people, you hope to be looked back after. If you don't look after people, you shouldn't expect that they're going to help you either. 
Yep, I agree. And look, I never get looked after. I've got rich. I want Richmond, so no one ever wants to give it to me. And fair enough. Fair enough. Anyway, we'll move on. Move on. Um, Tyron, I saw this question earlier, so I just thought I'd hang on to it. This should be a good one for you, Jenks. What card yeah. album are best to hold your PC? Ultra Pro, Select. What are your thoughts, yeah. man? So firstly, Tyrone, I was supposed to message you last night, but I'm a man that often gets distracted. So I'm going to tell you, flick me a reminder, if you can, around 10.30 tonight, because I do have a Jack Steele players in for you, my man. So consider that all, all sorted. We'll work it out, but I do have one there for you. Now, with regards to your question, um, I'm a massive fan of the full-size Ultra Pro albums. I am not a huge fan of the series-based albums that the manufacturers do. Um, especially the Series 1 albums. Um, I do use them for for bass sets and kid sets and things like that for my boys. Um, however, I actually take, the, like the Footy Stars album, I take out the pages and put Ultra Pro pages in them because I don't like the quality of the, the select pages. They're really thin and the way like they're, they're glued. I'm just not a big fan of them. I think the Ultra Pro folders are fantastic. And also for those who haven't seen, Select once upon a time, they manufactured their own Ultra Pro branded um, pages. They currently have on their website at the moment. Are they the, of, the platinum ones? They, they, they are. So they've basically taken the platinum ones and they've just branded them with select branding, but they're 100% the same thing. They're currently only 30 bucks plus postage for 100 pages for a box of 100 on the select website. If anyone wants those, you should, they're, they're the same as the normal the normal uh, Ultra Pro Platinum ones. But yeah, I use the full-size folders, the full-size select folders. They should cost you anywhere from $17 up to about 22 bucks is normally the, the price range on those. They hold the most amount of pages. They seem to be the sturdiest and the loops inside seem to be thicker than most of the others. That's my yeah. answer. Yeah, and I, and I guess to answer from my perspective, I've got a couple of the big binders too that I use for my master sets. And I've actually also started using one of these. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're, it's like a, it's an Ultra Pro, but it's like a blue... It's almost leather or pleather um, binder with like 30-odd pages or 40-odd pages, which I keep some PC stuff, stuff in. Um, I mean, any of those are good. Just stick with the brands. That's all I can probably suggest. You know, don't go and get a, you know, Officeworks binder. You know, get something that's made to carry the weight of the pages and the cards. A um, couple of little things. Bodie, <laughs> amusing as always. Rule one, don't be a flog. Rule two... Don't try to con people. I mean, hey, you fucking nailed it. That's all I can really say. Um, just quickly, we didn't touch about this earlier when we were talking about cards, but I'll just circle back to it now. Um, with card values going up and increased demand, and again, let's talk about Richmond and Dusty for one second because I know there's mm -hmm. a few Richmond collectors out there. But at the same time, uh, Geelong, this applies for too. With, with the verge of supremacy coming next year, does things like, dare I say, premiership cards for Dangerfield or a Norm Smith card for Dangerfield or, you know, have a bit of Richmond triple premiership card or triple Norm Smith card or some shit, does mm. that create a whole new avenue for Select to do some, like, uber expensive, low print run, highly desirable cards? Um, wow. Yes, yeah, supremacy in a nutshell, really. You know, much more expensive product, sealed, much higher quality product, first of its kind with respect to a domestic product. Yep. Obviously, goes straight down the path of all the international product and it's been done forever, but people weren't used to that here. 
really well executed, good player representation, good theming. It's a superior product, good numbering. It's worth big bucks. Like, uh, you know, you almost answered it yourself. So they know they're onto a recipe there for success. It's just a matter of them not putting too many other releases out there and diluting the market too much to take out too much money to then not be able to succeed with the super high-end stuff or have people turn their head away from the mid-range stuff because they know the super high-end's coming. Yep. Yeah, good question. And look, I know I'm going to get raped with Richmond because, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's definitely going to hurt. Uh, good question here for Benny Griff. Insuring your collection, do many people do it? I think I spoke to you about this privately ourselves. Um, what's your view on that? So I, I get asked it a lot privately, and uh, absolutely, if your collection is at a point that you believe it's got substantial value and you would know based on what you either paid for it or what the market value is, then you should be insuring it like any other asset under your home insurance, home, home and contents insurance policy. How, how, um, how, do you, how, do you, how do you insure cards? Do you, so, do you have to heavily document? Do you have to... Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah, you do. Yeah, so, so well, well, that's the thing. If you want to make a claim, you would have to have it heavily documented. So from as far as I'm concerned, most of the major insurers you can insure it as a specified item the same way it would be with jewellery or it would be with watches or it would be with any form of collectible item or it would be with artwork, for example, whereby you have to document what you have. Um, so if you did have to make a claim, you would be able to, to, to claim on it. So the way it would basically work is you would determine the value of what that specified item is and then you would need to create a spreadsheet with all your serial numbers of the numbered cards and you effectively need to have a photo of everything. So in the event that something did happen, you would have the ability to prove that you had it all in your possession beforehand. Um, same would be with like a diamond a wedding ring or an engagement ring where you have to have the, you know, the, the GIA or the, well, I can't remember what the other one is, the certification yeah. for, for the diamond as well as the receipt and everything from when you originally purchased it in order to, you can insure it for whatever amount you want, but if unless you have that certificate, you can't make a claim on it if it gets stolen afterwards. Yeah, and I definitely, you know, and it's a good point, Jason just said, make sure you do your own research. Um, I think there's probably a tipping point. I think you can have items on your house and contents up to $1,000 where you don't really have to document stuff. But if you're a, you know, a, a serious collector that has, you know, some pretty decent cards, I mean, you know, I'll, yeah, everyone can choose their own, you know, adventure. But I mean, make sure you secure them. You know, get a safe at home, get a locked cupboard, something like that. You know what I mean? I know a lot of the big guys. They've all, you know, they have much bigger collections than us. They all have that stuff under lock and key, fire protected, insured, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, you've got to do what makes you feel comfortable and sleep at night. But um, you know, good question about insurance. I think you know, if you're going to start collecting booklets or supremacy or you know any of that stuff. I mean, yeah, it's probably not the worst idea, like any other asset that you buy. Yeah, so Sam, Sam has just said something really valid. Like he said, it's not an insurance. It's not an insurance that I would ever want to have to use, as it would mean. Exactly, that's exactly right, Sam. It's not something that you, you want to lose, but also, it's certainly good to have peace of mind that if your house went up in flames or whatever happened, that all that money that you have put into those cards over a long period of time, at least. You know, you'll get some solace in, in getting uh, in getting some of that, that back. And uh, the other thing is I think people don't really 
realize how much they actually have until they start going back through their cards and all of a sudden you know someone may think they've got two thousand dollars or five thousand dollars worth of cards but if you actually start going through your cards you'll realize very quickly you've got ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars worth of cards there and the same multiples apply at a high level yeah absolutely um tyrone good question it's too big i can't put it on the screen but yes i think that would be a a great idea and something that my illustrious co-host and I have talked about before. Um, well, look, we might as well sort of segment straight into mailbag. Um, obviously, you know, the questions keep coming through, keep firing them through, guys. Um, a couple of we've had, and Adrian, yes, just seeing your note, we will circle back to yours uh, very, very shortly. Um, James, the other week, asked us a question. Um, he's a first-time long, uh, first-time viewer of the show and you know thanks for joining us um do you think there's ever going to be one of one cards in afl um obviously we see that in the nba a little bit we sort of see short run cards especially in supremacy that might be of 25 um do you think we're ever going to see like consistent runs of say tens or fives or one from one i don't think so and i hope not i see that for the domestic product and for afl collectors I would see probably going anything lower than where they're at of that 25 mark or lower than 20 actually becomes really, really detrimental to the hobby because we're such a team-based collector's market here. It's not like NBA where people collect players or rookies or those type of things. People are, are team set collectors as, we, as everyone knows and as we've discussed before. But as soon as you start printing cards in a low quantity that makes it unattainable for people to be able to do their sets, you could actually start to turn them off from collecting altogether. So I know as like a Saints team set collector, if all of a sudden there's something that's a one of one comes out, well, it kills my entire chase and my entire parameters. I need to have one of every St Kilda card ever produced. And that's what my, my lifelong hobby chase is for my St Kilda set and, to, and for my kids and whatever it may be. So if something comes out that's not attainable, then it's almost, I have to start questioning, well, what do I do now? Do I continue my set just knowing that there's that one card I'll never have because there is only one of them or there's only five of them or whatever it is? Um, you know, I've recently come across some things that are numbered only to 10 and it's taken years to actually find them now, two or three years now of till it's popped up and I've even seen them available. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think it would be a good thing in Australia for domestic AFL product or any domestic sport product here. And I think it would have a negative impact. And as a result, I think the card companies have done their research on this and they know that's the case. Okay, cool. Um, so a question from last week, which Adrian just sort of mentioned on before. I obviously don't have his question from, I can read it out because we documented it last week. Boys, with the breaks, is there any legal issues being potentially gambling He's not bringing any negativity. He's just interested to know. And Adrian, thanks for the question. It's a, it's a good one. Um, obviously, we see these breaks going on all the time and there is certain elements of chance and luck and we see some razzes, which are, if people don't know what razzes are, they're effectively a, a, a raffle or a random draw to win something. What's your take on the legalities? And um, again, we're not looking to, to point fingers here at anyone. This is more just an educational piece. Yeah so people can understand what it, what it all means. So fortunately, I am obviously very well researched in this area and I'm heavily engaged in this area as well. Um, and I'm conscious not to 
mention any particular names or pages or sites or anything like that. And I'm happy to talk about it at a broad sense. Um, some people probably thought that I wouldn't be willing to talk about this, but I'm absolutely willing to talk about it. And as anyone that messages me privately about it, I'm always happy to, to talk about this. Um, it's complex because breaks and raffles in a digital form and what we're talking about are, are relatively new and especially in Australia. And they are technically games of chance. And anything that is a game of chance is considered, considered gambling by the state regulatory bodies and the state authorities. Um, a, game, a game of chance is, effectory, is effectively a lottery, so to speak. Now, there's a lot of ambiguity around what is legal, what is illegal, what sits in a grey area, what you can't do but then can't be enforced against. It's quite complicated and it changes on a state-by-state -state basis. Um, the way it works with games of chance and therefore lotteries and how they then connect into gambling, um, it, it applies on a different basis in each state in Australia around the legislation that each of those governments have. And in a lot of instances, legislation pertaining to gambling and lotteries has not changed in decades. It's very antiquated and as a result, it doesn't clearly define things that are modern, that modern things based on technology that's available now, which a perfect example of are breaks and ra online raffles, otherwise known as razzers, random jaws, events, competitions. You can call them any name under the sun, it makes no difference. Uh, it's totally the actual name of what you call any of these things, whether you call it a break or a raz or a raffle, whatever it is, the name has zero bearing whatsoever. It's the action involved in what is taking place. Now, I can tell you the most stringent state in Australia is probably Victoria um, with respect to how it works. In a lot of instances, for any form of gambling or lottery, you need a permit. The thing is, though, the gaming commissions or the gambling commissions don't just throw permits out and issue permits willy-nilly. It's a very complicated process and it involves a lot of two-way correspondence but also a lot of data. I can tell you there's, there's things right now that I have to do due to things that I'm involved in in, in this area of, of the hobby where I have to maintain a very regular and ongoing correspondence with the Gambling Commission in Victoria and my engagement with them on an ongoing basis since the start of what I've been involved in ensures that what I am doing is, is fine and people are able to participate and what we do is, is acceptable. There are things other people are doing, I suppose, and again, I'm not going to name anything, but and this is across all sports and not just cards and there's all different types of things. There are things people are doing right now that will catch up retrospectively and it's not going to last forever. I don't think people can get in trouble for what's happened in the future, but it just won't be as easy to do it once they start to crack down a bit harder on it, if that makes sense. Okay, so, so let's simplify it a little bit for the listeners because obviously you're 
you know, as Bodie just joked, you know, you're very well versed on this and you are the, the legal eagle here at Card Authority. But if I'm in a RAS, can I get in trouble for being in that RAS as the consumer? Do I have anything to worry about? Is someone going to come and knock on my door? If you if you're just someone who is participating in it, so if you're buying, yeah. yeah, so if, you, if you're if you're buying a spot to try and win a card, in in, in reality, no matter where you live in Australia, in reality, you're not going to be enforced against because yeah. you could be you depending on what who you're doing it with, and where you are and where they are and how they're set up. You could be participating in something illegal without your knowledge, but the intent of a regulatory body and the authorities would not be to enforce against you as an individual. It would be to enforce against the platform or the location that is facilitating it and therefore making the parties who are getting money out of it effectively. Because you have to understand, like the gambling commissions, that, that they don't, they can't issue permits and licenses often, but when they do, the key aspect of it is data reporting. So you have to provide them with every single transaction that takes place and you have to pay them a royalty. It's effectively like a tax. The gambling commissions are not connected to the ATO or the tax departments and taxes at a federal level, but you have to pay them a royalty for the right to be able to run a lottery, basically. Yeah. And it requires a lot of auditing, so to speak. And, let, and you know, if people don't understand this, that the, the Gaming Commission is there to protect the consumer. You know, they obviously yeah. are a regulatory business that or a regulatory industry that looks after this space, and whether it's Tats Lotto or the Pokies or whatever it is, they're there to try to protect the consumer and make sure you're getting a, a, a fair toss of the coin yeah so um you know that makes complete sense what you're saying and i guess now i'll ask it from the other perspective because obviously we know lots of people in the industry that are doing breaks and all sorts of things if you're running a break mm -hmm. are you potentially worried that you're going to get knock on the door i think if you're not doing things the way you should be um there would be concerns and you would know that what you're doing isn't conforming to what's actually allowed. I suppose I need to be. I'm. I'm trying no, to be pretty course, careful course, here with with, with 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 what I say. And I can see there, Jason's the Jason's comment you just put up connects back to it. Doesn't need to be declared. Well, you got you got to think. Income derived from doing breaks is twofold. One, if you're running it as a business, then like any other business in any industry there are tax implications both positive and negative to, to that once you break a certain threshold of income as a breaker it's just like earning income or revenue from any other business so you've got tax obligations yeah so that's one half of it you have tax obligations now again depending on where you are and how exactly your breaks are set up and if you are required to pay royalties and report to regulatory bodies you may indeed be required to declare transactions that are taking place and also then pay a percentage of those transactions or fees associated with those those transactions according to what the legislative requirements are in your particular state. And I would say right now there's a combination of both going on. I know a number of operators who are very 
well structured in terms of their business. They take multiple types of payments. They declare their income. They can therefore claim expenses against that income as well related to that business. They have to pay GST because they're over the GST threshold. All that's built into their price, you know. There's really like there's some, some real basic stuff as well that people have no idea is is not not legal. Basically, I'm not going to say it's fully illegal, but for instance, if you're a breaker, you cannot make someone pay PayPal, family and friends to the extent that you're not even actually supposed to advertise family and friends as an as an only option. And that's not just for breakers, that's for someone who's selling cards. If you are selling your cards, you can ask for family and friends payments through PayPal to be preferred, but you cannot have it as the only payment. It's actually, it's not legal. It is not legal to do that. And the other thing is people need to consider on the basis of that certain people want to pay goods and services, whether you're a breaker or an individual selling a, a product, a, a, whatever it is, a product or a service, whatever it is, what your marketed price is, the price you put out there on the open market, if some, it has to incorporate someone that's, that's going to pay goods and services unless there is real specifications otherwise. So you can be family and friends preferred, goods and services accepted, However, this is the advertised price if you're going to pay via that method as well. Yeah, and look, again, we, we, we this this whole thing, and look, thank you, Adrian. I hope that does give you a little bit of clarity. I guess, you know, as, a, as an entrepreneur and a business person, this is the advice I can give to people on the business side of things. Do things properly. Do you know, make sure you're transparent with the things that you do, things like the randoms and communication and how you transfer money and all that kind of stuff. But if you're concerned about the business side of things, because it really, it becomes a business, speak to your accountant or speak to someone that can help you about that and give you some advice about whether or not you should be taking that to the next step and what legalities you need to do. Because what a lot of people don't realize about um, the tax department and things like that is they may not come and knock on your door, but they may send you a letter in three years time. And then you need yeah. to justify what you did three years ago. And I can tell you right now, your memory and your records is not going to be as good as it is now. So if you're, exactly. all, if you're at all concerned, give your accountant a call, give a tax specialist a call. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you should be doing, but really it's either a business or it's a hobby. So keep those things in mind. It can be a little bit of a gray area. And as Jenks mentioned before, it does differ in every state in Australia. Um, you know, don't freak out, <laughs> you know, don't think because of what we're saying that the world's ending, but you know, be professional, be transparent and ask for advice. That's the only information we can really give. Um, yeah. And, you know, Bodie's spot on, you know, honesty, integrity, and good business ethics. You know, if you're doing random draws, do it live. You know, don't just say that it's done. Things like that. They're the things that are going to come up on the Gambling Commission's radar because people are going to complain about it. They're then going to go and have a look at what you're doing and then you're potentially going to get in trouble. So if you're doing the right business practices, you're probably halfway along about not getting yourself in trouble. Um, cool. There was another question. Oh, uh, someone talked about grading 
we will come back to grading. That is actually what we're talking about in cardboard school tonight. Um, so we will get back to that. There were a couple of... Uh, da, 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 da. Mate, we, 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 might even, we might have to, uh, to save, save that for the next episode because we're going pretty hard here with the questions. I think some people are bringing up some really great conversation topics here. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm open to whatever, but uh, yeah, I'm just conscious uh, of the time as well, being a Tuesday night for everyone. That's true, that's true. Um, sorry. Um, okay, yeah, there's heaps of great questions. Look, everyone's talking about it, um, what we just sort of spoke about. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, PayPal, ATO, they all work together. So just be aware of that kind of stuff, guys. Um, all right, well, look, yeah, if we can... No, let, let's talk about grading. Let's talk about grading. Right. Come on. Let's do it. So, um, yeah, this was the topic for Cardboard School this week, and I get tons and tons and tons of questions about grading. Um, you know, should it be done? Should it not be done? Um, obviously, it's huge in the NBA market. I'm guessing, Jenks, you get a ton of questions about it too. Um, I've said to you for a long time, I think that grading is something that will eventually come into the Australian space. Over the last couple of days through a few groups, I've seen some amazing um, Rory Sloan graded cards from Beckett. I'm not sure if you've seen those photos. And they, yeah. look, they look brilliant. They're, they're, they're absolutely brilliant cards. They look beautiful. Yeah. Um, what do you think about grading? Do you think it has a future in Australia? And is it something that is as simple as people just starting to do it? Or, you know, what, what's your take on it? And obviously, full disclosure, Jenks and I have talked about this for hours on end privately. Mm. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Tell, tell me what your view is. Um, okay, so in order to give a view, we probably need a little bit of background on what grading actually is, um, because it's not it's it's not a big deal in Australia, and people certainly aren't used to it. People are saying to we're seeing it a bit more because of the influx of people moving into international sports such as NBA and NFL, where you get cards graded. But okay, so basically, there's some grading organisations well recognized in America, the two biggest ones being Beckett and their BGS, Beckett Grading Services and um, PSA being the other big grading company. There are some other ones as well. Uh, what grading does is it, it gives a determination of the quality of a card based on a number of factors. So there might be tens of, hundreds of, thousands of, tens of thousands of the same type of card, but there'll be ones that stand apart from the other because of, of the quality of them. So, for example, BGS, when they grade, they grade four separate subgrades to determine what an overall grade out of 10 would be. They've got the centering, so that's the print and cut of the card itself and how the image is centered, the edges and how they are in terms of their cutting and, their, and how they're worn, the corners and the condition of the corners and the surface, both front and back as well. Um, <clears throat> and we're talking about really simple things here like it could be something that your card is printed completely wrong, so therefore it's totally off-centre, or it could be a speck of dust on the surface affects your grade from being a perfect score on that subgrade. Now, what tends to happen is because cards, get when they're graded, they become noted in a system and they become part of what's called a population report. So at any given point in time, in real time, you can see how many of an individual type of card there are in circulation and existence that have been graded in a certain type of way. 
And as a result of that, cards that have higher grades, higher to perfect, so 10 being a perfect, perfect grade, the cards closer to the perfect grade are much harder to find and rarer to get because of the way that printing and offset printing works. And as a result of that, they command massive, massive prices and big multiples of prices as well. Um, so for me personally, a lot of people would be familiar that um, I I have a basketball card, a Jarmarant rookie card, which is an unnumbered card. It's a base card, um, which I sent off for grading, and it came back with what's called a black label 10 BGS, which is a perfect, what's considered to be an absolutely perfect card. It's a perfect, perfect, pristine card. Um, let's see if I can get this. It's hard to see because of the camera, but so you can see there yep. it's a 10, and you can see all subcategories, all four of them is a 10, and it's just this card. But it literally takes the card. If that was a 9.5, it would be worth hundreds of dollars. If it was a 10, like a normal 10, where it might have three subcategories of 10 and one subcategory of 9.5, it might be worth like a thousand or twelve hundred or fifteen hundred dollars. Because it's a perfect 10, it's worth many, many thousands of dollars. Because out of the, all the thousands and thousands of this particular card that have been graded by Beckett only 14 of them have achieved this result. So you could say that there's only 14 of this card in the world and it's a basketball card. So it's something that's collected globally, not just by a few people in Australia. And as a result, it has a, has a huge demand. On the flip side, I have this Zion card that only got a nine. And because I only got a nine, it's not worth anywhere near what a 9.5, let alone a 10 is worth. And then I have this other Zion that's a 9.5. It's actually a silver variation, so it's worth a bit. So that's where significant money. Now, in Australia, there is a company that does it. There's a company called CGA. Card Grading Australia, I believe. Card Grading Australia, yeah, Card Grading Australia. And there is a Lenny Hayes. Now, the legend Daniel Ramage actually gave me this card for free, and he won it in a competition from the grading company who was trying to demonstrate grades. But there is an Aussie card that's been slabbed in a special slab and graded uh, in Australia. There you go, Luke. Yeah, steel dominance for the for the Becker Ten. <laughs> By the way, if anyone decides to look up the black label, don't get upset with me that it's listed on eBay for fifteen thousand dollars. Okay, and uh, and it's not just up there for that price. And there's a hot a pie in the sky price. I have serious offers on this card. I've rejected some serious serious offers on this card. So, so getting back on the point, though, so obviously the, the numbered card market, as we've talked about in previous shows, is a lot stronger in our industry and for AFL. Numbered yeah. cards are not as relevant over in America. Say, for example, I've got a dusty showstopper, all right? The card is numbered to 40. If I sent that off to be graded and call it a $1,000 card, if I send that off to be graded and that comes back as an eight, what does that do to my dusty showstopper that's numbered to 40? Well, if we were in a marketplace that actually supported grading in terms of values, so where it, it, the importance of grading is up there with the importance of numbering, I suppose, then it devalues that card and you'd effectively you'd crack the slab and you take the card back out of it because your card is worth more in a raw form than it is with a low grade. And that's part of the issue with grading is you pay a substantial amount of money to get your card graded 
it comes back a shit grade and all of a sudden your card's worth more were worth less than what it was when it was raw. But then you also have that lucky chance that if it grades really well, your card's worth a lot more. Again, my Jama Rant's a great example. It was a $30 card when I sent it off. I was hoping that when it came back, it was going to be a $300 card because it was going to get like a 9.5. It came back and it's worth $10,000. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's, it's a serious thing. Like, I don't, we don't have a market like that for AFL right now. But where I see this potentially working with AFL in terms of increasing value of cards is not so much on the numbered cards, but on non-numbered cards, on things like base cards or, or even things like rookie cards, for example, which have high numbering. If you take something that there's 175 of or hundreds of or thousands of and you get one that you can get graded at a 9.5 or a 10 or something like that, well, you, pro you probably have a card there that is very, very rare because not many of them would grade that high. There is a Saints collector that's actually gone and graded lots of the, the female base cards from Footy Stars, and I think his premise for it was, well, it's the first ever release of female footy cards. So um, he, he piled up. I sent him probably 30, 40, 50 of them, just base cards, so he could go through them and work out which are the best ones because his perception is there's going to be a future value for this. And that's where it comes into, well, graded cards also then creates a documented system for trading cards as well. And you, you can probably talk more to that because of your line of work, I suppose, and, and statistics and numbers as well. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's probably... That's probably another whole topic to talk about the the tracking and movement of cards and you know breaking down the the percentage of cards that are out there and then you know assigning a grade to them and that's what's adding their value but i pose this situation to you here in australia would i go and get a dustin martin base card or a common card graded you know is that going to suddenly turn it from being a 20 dollars card to a 70 dollars card i guess you've got to find people that see that value in the grading personally yeah. i think it could happen and one of the things that i think that it would actually help for is what about signatures because signatures are something that are quite individual to cards so let's use a dps for example there's what mm -hmm. 170 of them 175 mm -hmm. there's gonna be good signatures shit signatures you know average signatures if they started to get graded could that then define some more value into those certain cards opposed to perhaps ones that might have a little smudge or might not, yeah. you know, might have not have the T crossed? Um, you know, Luke Francis from Planet mentioned to me the other day that apparently there's a Matt Rao card out there that he's actually written his name on there fully. There's a few. Yeah, there's a yeah. few that have the full C. So to me, those ones that have his full signature would be more valuable. The way to authenticate that increasing value would be to get it graded because separate to those four grades i talk about the graders do separate on the signature so your card still gets graded and then you get a separate grade for the signature which is based on penmanship um quality smudging drop off all that sort of stuff so i absolutely think there's a market there and to be honest like i really think the grading grading cards is probably there is would have much more significant impact on non-numbered AFL cards than it would on the actual numbered cards. Um, okay. And, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like, I've never really, th although we've talked about grading so much, you and I, and I've talked about it with other people, I've never thought about the proposition of 
if someone presented me with a St Kilda card, let's say a Jack Steele base card from Prestige, one of the silver base cards that was graded 10, and I know that a normal base card is worth 10 cents, I would probably pay good money for that graded 10 Jack Steele card, to be honest. Like, I'm just thinking about it right now, and it would be awesome to have it. I'll be honest, I don't rate this Lenny Hayes card. It's not, it didn't grade well. It graded only 91. Uh, said to Ramage at the time, I can't believe they gave it, they gave us a promo competition, a car that didn't grade as like a perfect 10. But it also shows that it's hard to get perfect grading. Um, but yeah, like I think if this Lenny Hayes was a graded as a 10, it would sit front and centre in my collection almost rather than sitting hidden away in a drawer with some other cards. Do you think that we, we've obviously touched on a couple of brands here um, BSG, PSA, oh, sorry, BGS, PSA, yeah. and the local guys, Card Grading Australia. Mm. How important is the brand? Obviously, I know in NBA it's super important. If you the go brand and get, is everything. Yeah, if you go and get Fred's grading, well, it doesn't matter if they give you a 10, it doesn't mean shit. But, I mean, for AFL cards, you know, is there a difference between a, a 100 at CGA and a 100 at Beckett? Like, I would I would suspect there would be differences. Beckett is known as being really uh, harsh in the way they grade. So as a result, a Beckett ten is worth is worth more than a PSA ten. PSA is known not to worry much about the centering of cards. Um, so, and, and as as a result of that, sorry, I just got distracted by Sean's question. But as as a result of that, you could get a PSA ten that is completely off center. So from what I gather, and again, someone can correct me if I'm wrong here, but from what my understanding is, a PSA 10 is basically the equivalent of a BGS 9.5 in most instances, and a BGS 10 can't be trumped by a PSA 10. A BGS 10 and a BGS black label 10 are the absolute best you can get, and because it's looked at that BGS are harsher at grading, so if you can achieve the highest of high results from the harshest grader, well, then the likeliness is you have the best quality possible in terms of the card itself. So, so if you're sending in a Jamarat like you did, $30 card, whatever it is, and it came back, you know, $20 million, if I sent a Dustin Martin Prestige Common over there, are there tools and mechanisms going to be set up for the Australian marketplace? Or does the actual card, what's on the card kind of irrelevant? It has the same metrics, whether it's AFL, volleyball, baseball, whatever it should be. <clears throat> yeah, the same metrics. And I don't know exactly what they are. Obviously, we know what the subcategories are, but we don't know how they judge based on those categories. I would suspect in the modern day, there would be a combination of computerized AI being used as well as humans. They would probably use digital guides where they put a card under a camera, probably a microscope in certain instances, but more so under a really high-definition camera, and I suspect they have overlay templates and things like that which would determine where particular things on the card need to be for center, for the centering grade and, and obviously how they do. Look, they would have processes, and the whole thing is, at the end of the day, if a company didn't have credibility, then the value of their grading is worthless because it's only worth what someone believes the, the reputation and the credibility is behind that particular brand. So, you know, John Smith could come and start a grading company next week and he could decide to give everything a 10. 
But if people look at those cards and go, well, how the hell is this a 10? Well, it's got this issue, it's got this imperfection, it's got this problem, that company has no credibility and therefore it wouldn't increase the value of the cards. Um, so I would say that they have defined processes which run across every piece of cardboard, no matter what it is. Plus, they would also have specific things for a particular type of cards. For a very long time, BGS did not did not um, did not grade AFL cards, and then a couple of years ago, they officially announced they started grading AFL cards. Yeah, so I guess, and that's the question that if if the Australian marketplace is to move in that direction, does that mean Beckett or PSA? You know, obviously we've got heaps of comments. Mario is just one example. Um, Everyone seems to have their preferred choice, but does that mean that those guys automatically become the authority? Or if John Smith grading comes out and he's transparent about what he's looking for and all those things, does that open up an opportunity for an Australian business or a Asia Pacific business that specializes in those sports to actually become the authority and grading on those types of cards? Yeah, I think it's all about quality and it's all about support and your marketing um as with everything in this hobby and with any type of hobby any marketplace any any sector um goodwill is the critical thing so if you your initial success in terms of your customer satisfaction is what would drive your growth and your future success as well um uh, look, mate, we, we, between us, we could probably create a whole business model for it right now and give someone a whole business model over over a podcast. And uh, I'm not sure that's what... Uh, we, 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 we might say what, that. Yeah, what, what, uh, it's not, I'm not sure that's what we want to bore everyone with here or, no. or give, give, give away as well. But you've certainly got my mind thinking here. And as you and I, you know, we've talked about grading a lot. And if we think graded cards, you know, are more valuable both in terms of international and how it impacts the market and everything. My my staunch position on it is if someone did it right, they did it well and they looked after their customers and were focused not on trying to make money and on providing a really great quality product which had the ability to change the market or have the market adapt to it in some way, shape or form. Yes, I think there is the capability in Australia. CGA, I'm not hugely familiar with them. They've been around for a while. I'm not hugely familiar with them. I don't know if that is a reflection that people are not satisfied with the quality of what it is or if their customer base isn't big enough to have spread the word or, or if they haven't marketed it correctly. Um, in saying all of that, it begs the question in the US, why aren't there 100, 100 grading companies that are successful? So that, that's... That's the thing, because sure, you know, you'd have to think it can't be that difficult to do it. You need the processes, you need the slabs, and and you know, yeah, the goodwill, I suppose. Yep, fair enough. All right, well, grading obviously is something we will talk about in the future, no doubt. But um, you know, I certainly keep firing through with those questions because um, you know, as we've both discussed, we've talked about this on end. You know what I mean? Um, and look, yeah, Benny Griffiths just mentioned that it's a it's a fairly small operation, so that's probably why. And, and that's what I would expect. There you go. So he said the guys are printed by trade. So I, I'd said to AJ previously, Benny Griff and everyone out there, I'd said to AJ, I would think that CGA is someone's pet project 
it's certainly a business, no doubt about it. And what they've done is fantastic. I, I, I certainly think it's fantastic. But I suspect it was a passion for someone that's giving it a shot or gave it a shot. But it's very much, you, you know, your, your traditional almost bedroom operation. I don't see CGA as being this big company with a giant factory and 20, 100 employees, whatever it is, that are, are churning out cards. I see it as someone physically sitting there with the plastic cases, doing the grading, all that sort of stuff, and physically putting it together. So what you've got in your hand is probably very much like your handmade, hand Australian handmade is what you're looking at. Yeah. So absolute respect and props to the to the gentleman who uh, who, who runs that company. As I said, I, I don't know him. I'm not really overly familiar with him whatsoever. Maybe I do know him and I don't realise that I know him, but... Props to him and good on him for giving him a crack. What we might do is, look, Griff, if you if you know Craig, maybe we'll get him on the show. Love to get him on the just show. Get, yeah, and, and he might be able to answer a whole heap of questions for us Would about, um, you know, how he started and why he does it and what are some of the techniques that he's doing, you know. Obviously, we're here to help promote the industry in any way you can. And, you know, we'll talk to you about that offline, Griff. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll see what we can do about that. All right, well, look, we're starting to clock up to an hour and a half. And as much as, you know, we could talk forever, I know what everyone's waiting for. This this, this is the single-handed number one, well, not number one, number two. Obviously, everyone messages me asking who's AJ number one and who's AJ number two. But once we get past that, everyone comes for unicorn hunting. So we've had a big week. We've had a big Huge week. Rate. Huge week. We've obviously had a a couple of quieter weeks where we haven't been out. We were on a hot streak there, an amazing hot streak there, landing unicorns left, right, and center, and then went a little bit quiet. This week, or should I say last week, Boaty reached out to us, and to say he begged is probably an understatement. He pleaded. He said, boys, find me a Travis Boak influential now i got a late night message from you one night with a whole heap of screenshots and anyone that knows jenks he's quite partial to sending a voice message and i just had boom 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 my phone lit up and fair to say a travis boat <laughs> popped its head up and look you were certainly instrumental in what happened so why don't you give the listeners a little bit of a snapshot of how we came across a travis boat influential all right, so a bit of a backstory here. Aside from Bodie really, you know, putting us under the pump, wanting to get the card up, I'm pretty sure he has literally messaged us every single week since the first episode about the Boke Influential going up and his Unicorn going up. So firstly, it was great to finally be able to get his up. And we're also aware of several other people who have submitted the same card as well as, as their Unicorn, which we haven't been able to, to run quite yet. Um, the story is here is that the boatman himself has been looking for the boat influential for a very long time. Everyone's been looking for them. Influentials are very rare. They've been rare because they're so tucked away in, in collections, but also rare because the product itself, not, not all of it had been busted open when it was released. And as a result, a lot of it was sitting in storage. Now, what has happened and the expectation was always going to be was as this certified product started to get broken more and more, we would see more of the influentials and the footies finest and things come out. And as a result, some people would finally be able to find the cards that they were looking for. And effectively, this 
is the crux of what has happened here with the Bodie Brown. However, a card coming out in a break does not just mean someone gets their unicorn. What it requires is legends and legends to look out for each other and to look out for the intent of their fellow collectors and what they're truly trying to achieve here. Because what took place here in order for Bodhi to get his card was not defined by money or monetary value within the card itself or what something could cost or should cost or would cost. It was the importance of securing a card that's needed for a collection by having the ability to help someone else secure something that they needed just as equally for their collection. Are you telling me this is a two-for-one? This is a two-for-one. This, uh, this is a unicorn for a unicorn here is what's happened. And what's amazing is, and I hope, I hope he doesn't mind, but we're going to put it right out there, another absolute legend and stalwart, stalwart of the hobby, who I'm sure we've talked about on the show before, David Hunter, the Hunter, who is a massive Hawks man. And everyone knows that the Luke Hodge influential has been his big unicorn for a very prolonged period of time. Yep. And David as well has approached us on several occasions since the start, since the first episode, wanting to get his uh, uh, the Hodge up as a unicorn chase for him. We did one for Luke Francis, and as a result, we didn't want to be repetitive straight away, so we put David on the back burner for the publicity and the public advertisement of the card he was looking for. But this is what's gone down here, folks. Tell All me. this week, in the last couple of days, David Hunter, David Hunter has hit a boke influential in a break. He's hit the boke in a break, okay? He's hit the boke in the back. It was the band break. He was in a band case break. He was in a couple of minis. I believe he spent around $100 to get his spots in the break, lands the spot, gets Port Adelaide, even said, like, I want Port Adelaide here because I'm hoping that a Boke Influential is going to come out because it's so many people's unicorn. So the hunter, he's gone in the break. He's hit the Boke Influential. He knows the boatman needs that card, but he knows lots of people need the card as well. But what has David Bodie Brown got sitting in his little arsenal right there? Ooh, here we go. And what is and David Hunter knows he's got it as well. He's got the Luke Hodge. He's got the Hawks Luke Hodge. Now we all know in traditional terms, a Hawthorne card and a Luke Hodge card is certainly number to forty, especially in monetary terms in the marketplace due to the level of collectors and the amount of people it's obviously going to hold more of a financial value. However, however, all parties in this situation, and I think many, many of our fellow collectors out there would agree that this situation, the cards themselves and the intent to have them in a collection and the fact that they're both unicorns override any perceived financial cards that they that the values that the, the, the financial value that the cards themselves actually have yep. and what you have to do here is you take yourself out of that little financial bubble and you say you know what this is the card I desperately wanted this is the card I said I would trade anything for and I would pay anything for and it's been playing on my mind I want the card I need the card I've got to get the card but I also have a card 
that this other person views in the same way that I view this particular card. He wants it. He needs it. He would spend anything on it. He would trade anything for it. So it, it, it's two worlds colliding. They both want the same thing. They both want a really rare piece of cardboard. And to both parties here, it's not about the money. It's about the fact that there, there is the ability here for two people to get something they've searched so long and hard for at the very same time. And that, my friends, is exactly what's happened. And I have to commend both of them for what they've done here to help each other and the integrity they hold. But I also have to really pat, pat Bodie Brown on the back here because he has given up a card that he knows has an increased value. But he is the one in his conversation with me when I was talking to him about it that voluntarily said, I am happy. I want to give up my Luke Hodge, which I know is worth more. I want to give it up. I want David Hunter to have this card. And we're both getting something that we need and it goes beyond the money. It doesn't matter that there's a few hundred dollars difference in value. If I can get my unicorn and David Hunter can get his uniform, a unicorn, I keep calling it a uniform, a unicorn, another big time contributor to the hobby, then this is an amazing result for both of us as individuals, but it's an amazing result for the hobby as well. It, it restores my faith in humanity in terms of trading cards after some of the things that you see happen around a new release. And it, 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 it gives me that amazing feeling that all right, all right, all right, there are, are people that truly want to help each other. It's right. unbelievable. Right. And it's what unicorns are all about. Settle down, Anthony Robbins, all right? Like, I, there you go. Yeah, so, I mean, th this is what happens when you let the other AJ hijack your segment. At 10, at 10 o'clock at night. It's all look, you. <laughs> but it's a fantastic result. And the best side, best part of this is we've had an unintentional double unicorn, which it doesn't get much better than that. So well done to all parties and well done to you, Jenks. Obviously, you were a, a central figure in trying to make this happen. Um, or should I say Anthony Robbins? But Thank you well, very much. Yeah, well done, everyone involved. Bodie's got his card. Um, yeah. <laughs> nice job. Um, and obviously, Hunter's got his card too. So we're going to mark that off as a double unicorn hunt. Well done, everybody. That's um, that's really great stuff. I but might just uh, – I'm not, sorry, AJ. I just need to intervene because right. I do want to add for one second here that um, – the unicorn, the unicorn thing has obviously become very big now within the card collecting community. Um, it's something that people have really enjoyed as part of this. I have to give credit where credit is due. You are the unicorn man. This segment is from you. You thought it up. You brought it up with me and said, would I be keen on this? I totally supported what you're doing. And I think what you've done is not just something amazing for the show, but you've really added something quite amazing for the hobby itself where you have created a platform and a capability for people to market and broadcast something that they want that they can't get and you're making people's dreams of what they believe was unattainable into a real into a reality and i think i speak for all our listeners and everyone involved here what you have done with respect to this whole unicorn situation and the way you've blown up unicorn hunting is 
an amazing thing that the amazing addition and amazing thing that's been spotlighted in the hobby and uh, I really hope it's something we can continue to do with great success and thank you so much to everyone within the community has really come to the forefront of wanting to help each other out and achieve these goals and I think you know such great stuff with what we achieved with Lachlan and the Nick Nat and we got Luke his Hodge and all that sort of stuff but I think each time each time there is a successful unicorn hunt, it really highlights something that it's bringing to the hobby. And I think tonight, and this latest one, really what you've done is created a segment that's highlighted the humility and the human aspect and that intent for people to help each other. And if you believe you can achieve, and that is a reality. So well done to you, mate. And, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to what, what the future of the unicorn hunting really holds. Well, thank you. And look, you know, obviously I, I appreciate that, but it's not all about us, you know, the, the big uh, the big shout out to you guys, the listeners, because we can have all these great ideas as we do everything else here at Card Authority, but, you know, we can't do it without you guys. So um, thank you very much. Keep hunting, keep submitting, all that kind of stuff. Sean, get in line. There's about 16 people that want one of these look. Luke Hodge influentials, um, but we'll keep you in mind. We'll add you to the list. But true unicorn hunters don't rest. And even after a double hunt, um, we've got another one. We've got a big one here. Now, you know, a lot of times we, we, we are always after sort of big boy cards. Well, tonight we have <laughs> Luke Francis. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we've got one tonight, all right, which is actually from Ben Griff, who's obviously been um, involved in the show a little bit today with a few comments and stuff. So we thank you, Griff. Um, he's after a Dominance 19 DPS card, Nick Blakey. Now, people that have been around a little while will know that there aren't that many of these DPSs around, and there's a few strong rumours of where they might be, Griff. Um, but, you know, there's one particular one that Benny Griff is after, and that is the number 22 jumper number. So if you have Dominance 19, the Nick Blakey DPS number 22, you've got a golden opportunity here to be a hero. To be a and you can, you can remain anonymous. If you want to be anonymous, course, you can remain anonymous as well. Uh, so. we, yeah, we, we offer all, all of that. That goes without saying. But, you know, one of the great things about being, you know, involved in this segment is that you get to get a little bit of a pat on the back. So if you happen to have this card or you know somebody that has it, reach out to us. Benny Griff is looking to certainly, he will look after that person with, I don't know, another DPS or some other cards. or And as always, we're always happy to help if we need to. We're not paying for it, but we'll help. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of things that we can do for someone that has that card. Dominance 19, DPS, Nick Blakey, number 22. Come on, let's do it. Let's keep let's this it. streak going. And I can hear Bodie saying as well in the chat, we should go a triple. Well, we'll we'll look to do a triple, all in good time, all in good time. But we're going to have the new website up any day. Um, I'm still waiting on someone to write some content for me, but hopefully we will will have that up in the next couple of days. Um, And that's going to have all the unicorns that we're looking for, all the unicorns we've found, all the good things. Um, 
you know, Benny Griff has his saying here, he'll give a lift, left nut or a right nut or, you know, whatever is needed. So R- rumor anyone... has it that, uh, sorry, rumor has it that Benny Griff is uh, his mates uh, with Martin Davis. And for those who are not across the latest news yet, Martin Davis is a great masseuse. And uh, you can ask Nick Nat about that. But seriously, anyone who hasn't seen yet, Martin Davis is a big man in our hobby. He's friends with Benny Griff. I reckon Benny Griff can persuade him to offer a massage out to anyone who's got the number 22, Nick Blakey. But if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you go check out uh, Nick Nat's comments last night from the Best and Ferris when he when he won last night because a member of our card community got a massive, massive shout-out. So congrats there. Multiple times. Yeah, multiple, multiple times. Well. times. I, and got, I'd a, got argue, a Tinder shout-out, everything. It was unbelievable. I'd actually argue that the whole West uh, West Coast Eagles presentation night was basically going to get renamed the Martin Davis night. It was insane. Unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, Nick Blakey, 2019 dominance, number 22. Reach out to us. Reach out to Griff. You know, we will make it happen for you. Um, let's make it happen. Let's get another one. All right? Let's get another one. So, look, we're... Uh, it's never a good sign when the clock that you're recording your show is ticked over to zero and now we're <laughs> recounting up again. So that means we've probably been on air for about 90 minutes or maybe even more. more. Yeah. Um, thank you, everyone, for your contributions. You guys have been amazing. Obviously, it's a big week. That's why we wanted to go a little bit earlier this week because um, grand final will obviously be back next week. We're in the process of lining up some special guests for you. So if you've got any ideas of some guests that you'd like to hear from, whether it's you know, educational or entertainment or whatever it might be, um, such as like Craig from CGA. We're going to see if we can line up a few people in the off season, we call it, and have a bit of a chat and bring them on the show for you. But um, look, as always, thank you guys. Tiger AJ, you have been amazing as per usual. It's nice that your camera finally looks good for the last 45 seconds of the show. Um, But thank you, mate. You've been brilliant. And um, I guess we'll see you all next week. Yeah, and you. I've got to go grab a big glass of water now after all that talking. Thank you very much. <laughs> See you next week, everyone, and thanks again for tuning into Card Authority. We love being able to bring you guys the show and love the engagement, so uh, keep it up and share it with all your mates, and, uh, yeah, thanks again. Go Tux.